Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. It really, really is uh, good to see you this morning. And I also want to add to to all the other greetings to uh, dads today. Happy Father's Day to each and every one of you. I realize that 2017, for some of you, this is the very first Father's Day, and it's quite exciting. And for others, well, we saw some of the ages of the dads. This may be your 70th Father's Day that you're celebrating as a father, and uh, it never grows old, for, for sure. There are a few assignments that are more demanding and few more rewarding than being a dad. It brings out the very best in you, but if we're honest, it can bring out the very worst in you as well. It's both exhilarating and exhausting at the same time. Mark Twain once said, when I was a young boy of 14 years of age, my father was so ignorant I couldn't be in the same room with him. And then when I turned 21, I was shocked to see how much he had learned in the last seven years. (laughs) Sometimes, dads, you feel like you just want to hit your head against the wall at times. And I know for some, Father's Day is a day of fun, a day of happiness, a day of celebration. But for others, it is a painful reminder of this broken world that we live in. I realize some here don't really have or never had a a great relationship with a loving earthly father. And I realize as well this morning there are some maybe they don't even know who their dad is. And that's hard. Then there are those of you who have had to bury your children. And so Father's Day is always that reminder that your child passed away. And so it is not an easy day. And for some I realize too there's no communication between you and your children, and that's been very difficult. You can't even figure out why that's happened. So it's, it's not always easy Father's Day. I recognize that. So my prayer is that we would find our ultimate hope in the perfect Heavenly Father this morning, especially on a day like today. I recently heard a story about a teenage a boy who had turned 16, and he passed his driving test. And so he went to his father to inquire as to when he would be able to use the family car. The father said, well, son, let's make a deal. You bring your grades from a C to a B. You just start reading the Bible a little and get your hair cut. And uh, we'll talk about the use of the family car. So the son thought about it and said, okay, dad, it's a deal, and shook his father's hand. Well, about six weeks later, the, the father was walking down the hallway of the house, and, and he knocked on his son's door, and he went in, and he said, you know, son, I, I just want to let you know, in the last six weeks, I've I just been so proud of you. He said, I've noticed that you brought your grades up from a, a C to a B, and I've actually noticed that you've been reading your Bible, but I am a little disappointed you haven't gotten your hair cut. He says, well, Dad... As you know, I've been reading and studying the Bible. And I've discovered Samson had long hair. And I discovered um, Moses had long hair. Dad, I discovered John the Baptist has long hair. And Dad, there's even strong evidence that Jesus had long hair. And the father responded, yes, but did you also notice they walked wherever they went? 
the Bible says that children are a gift from the Lord. A gift that you cannot return. A gift that you cannot exchange or store credit. And have you ever noticed that this gift, this blessing that God gives you can also be the same person who sucks the very marrow out of your bones? (laughs) Adorable, yes, but sometimes a handful. And uh, I want to say that we take parenting very seriously around here. We believe that um, the parent's job is super, super important. That's why Pastor Dave and our family ministry offers parenting classes because we really want moms and dads to do the very best that God has created them to be. There is a sign over in Port Huron um, on the main drag when you're on your way to Birchwood Mall, big billboard. I've never forgotten it since the day that I saw it. It reads, it's easier to raise a child right than to correct an adult. I've never forgotten that. Uh, It's easier to raise a child right than to correct an adult. It can be very hard to unlearn some of the things that we've learned during our developing years. And the Bible has a lot to say about parenting, for sure. And it doesn't matter if you have a six-month-old or a six-week-old or a six-year-old or a 16-year-old or a 36-year-old. The truths that the Bible teaches about uh, parenting are absolutely Timeless. I heard a story about a man in Halifax, actually, as a dad. Um, he had called his son Jim in Toronto. And the phone rang, and Jim picked up the phone, and uh, he said, hey, Dad. And his father said, son, I, I don't want to ruin your day, but I need to tell you something. After 45 years of marriage... I've come to the conclusion that your mother and I need to get a divorce. There's nothing you can say to change our mind. 45 years of misery is long enough to endure. We're to the point we can't stand the sight of each other. We're both sick and tired of pretending. Would you please call your sister Jennifer in Vancouver and let her know? And he hangs up the phone. Well, Jim is distraught. He's like, I can't, what, what, what just happened there? And so he quickly called his sister Jennifer in Vancouver and said, you're not going to believe what I, I, I can't even believe, I just got off the phone with dad. Dad said, he and mom are getting divorced. She said, what what do you mean get, no, that's not happening. She said, no, I was talking to dad early. That's what he said, that they're they're just tired of pretending that they don't love each other anymore after 45 years. Jim, this is not going to happen. I will settle this. And she hangs up the phone with her brother and then calls her father in Halifax. Her dad picks up the phone and says, dad, I just want to let you know, I just got off the phone with Jim. And there is no way, there is no way you and mom are going to get a divorce. That is it. Don't, listen, don't you do one thing. I'm coming there tomorrow. I'm going to call Jim back and both of us will be there tomorrow. Don't you do anything. And she hung up the phone. And the husband, the father, hung up the phone and smiled at his wife and said, the kids are coming home for your birthday. And they're paying their own way. (laughs) You gotta love a dad who's quick on his feet. You know, sometimes you watch television and um, you watch some sitcoms and they kind of show the part of a dad as just kind of a, a bumbling idiot, which is not true, by the way. In fact, I believe this to be true. Dads, you have been 
given a God-designed influence. I really believe that. Dads have a God-designed influence that has been put inside of them from their Heavenly Father. I actually recently heard this statistic that uh, when a mom is the first one in the family to get, become a follower of Jesus, they say that 17%, it increases by 17% that the children will come to know Jesus, which is great. A mom comes to know the Lord, and 17% uh, chance increases that their children will come to know the Lord. The same statistic reported that when a father is the first one in the family who comes to know the Lord, this blew me out of the water, it said that uh, their children coming to Christ is 93% higher than coming to know the Lord. Men, you have been given a God-designed influence like no other. And I believe the Bible says we're invested into our kids and into the next generation. God has wired you men to have a strong influence on your children. And one of the lessons that I observed, I, you know, I, I'm up here speaking and, and I'm not even a dad myself. So, but I, I can say I've had the opportunity to observe a great dad, my dad. And I've also been able to observe those generations behind my dad, my granddad. And so I, I, I speak with a little bit of what I've observed myself personally. And one of the things that I've learned and watching even parenting is that the days are long but the years are short. Isn't that true? The days are long, but the years are Long days of sleep depravity. Long days of changing diapers. Long days of sitting through musical recitals. Long days of sitting on the bench, watching your kids play sports. Long days of driving your kids to school event after school event. Long days of being a taxi driver. Long days of spend, uh, paying tuition bills. The day seems so long, but boy, the years are short. In the last uh, couple of weeks, I've noticed on Facebook, there's a lot of pictures of graduation on, on Facebook. You know, there's high school graduations, there's college graduations. And, and for some of you parents, it's like you just blinked your eye and your baby boy is graduating uh, from high school. And for some of you, you've blinked your eye and you're, now you're walking your daughter down the aisle to give her away to another man. And you think, how did that happen? Like, when did this all happen? It seems like it was just yesterday you were bringing your little girl home from the hospital and trying to figure out how that car seat worked in the back. Doesn't seem like just yesterday you were frustrated as you're trying to fold that stroller and put it in the trunk. Remember those days? Uh, I, um, I always had a playpen at our house because my nieces and nephews lived next door. And so they'd come over and they'd sleep in the playpen. And I never put that thing together without pinching my fingers. Never. And it always says easy. You know how the word says easy? Which makes it even worse. Makes you feel worse. I couldn't put it up. I couldn't put it down. I just threw it out. <laughs> and now, you know, my nephew, I look at him and he's going to be 16. The days are long. But boy, the years are short. And for some of you dads who have, you know, 12 and 13-year-old children at home, you recognize they have probably five or six years left before they're off to university. So use that God-designed influence while they're still at home. Ecclesiastes actually says that um, life is like a vapor. 
You, you, you can't grab a hold of it. It's gone so quick, like it just vanishes before your very eyes. And when we let that truth kind of settle in, I think oftentimes it changes our perspective and our attitude. That's when you begin to hear dads say, oh, if I could just rewind the years so I could spend a little more time with my kids. Maybe not spend so much time in that uh, working overtime. Because, you know, the fact is, you, you never do hear a son or a daughter say, you know, my dad was a great dad because he was rich. You don't ever hear those comments. You never really hear a child say, you know, my dad was an awesome father because, well, because, you know, he owned his own company and had hundreds of employees working with him. You know, my dad was an incredible dad because he always had money in his pocket. You don't hear those kind of comments. You know, my dad was a great dad because he had a, brought home the paycheck. We never missed a meal. You know, it's actually possible for a son or daughter to be well-fed but be starving for what really matters most in life. And so I've been thinking, I think of my own dad and my grand, like, what have they left? What is it they have left behind? What investments, what were they chasing after that has really kind of impacted me? And which then I would say to our dads, like, what are we hoping to leave behind that our kids maybe will say of us? Well, in 1794, Sylvester Graham was born. His name would become a household a name, and his passion would become his highest calling. Even though he only lived to be 57 years of age, his legacy lives on around throughout this country, and especially the United States. By the early 1830s, Sylvester Graham had become a Presbyterian minister, and he had established himself as a fiery preacher who used to preach against alcohol. And oddly enough, he became convinced that the way to cure alcoholism was to become a vegetarian. A strict diet of vegetables, he said, would cure anyone's longing for rum. He also taught that carnal desires could be cured by eating food made of ground whole wheat. Later in life, he switched from trying to convince people to stop drinking to try to convince people to stop eating uh, bread of any other kind than whole wheat. And in 1847, a riot broke out in Boston. All the Bostonian bakers were intent on lynching the madman. That was the nickname they had given him, madman. And he escaped the lynch mob and kept on lecturing on the evils of meat and the need to eat only food made of whole wheat. His legacy? Well, even though Sylvester Graham was a Presbyterian minister, his minister really never bore much fruit. However, his passion for ground wheat flour lives on. You can buy his product in the form of a cracker, the Graham cracker. Invented by Sylvester, named in honor of himself. Sylvester Graham's legacy, a cracker. <laughs> now before we say to ourselves, what a weirdo he was, let's ask ourselves, what's our passion? Dad, what is it that I feel so strongly a boat. What is it that I, 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 I'm chasing after that my kids are watching? Like, what is, will be my legacy? Is it like, a, you know, classic cars? Is it a boat? Is it a cottage, a house, a business? Don't miss out because the days may seem long, but boy, the years are short. There's a phrase that I've seen in a lot of homes. It's 
framed or hanging on the wall or sometimes it's stitched on a pillow. And it says this, excuse my mess, my kids are making memories. I love that. And talking about memories, the Bible actually talks about parents and memories. And it's actually found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Also, will be on the screen for you. But Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it talks about parents and, and making memories with your children. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in verse 6, it says, These commandments I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. This was told to the children of Israel as they were getting ready to go into the promised land. Forty years of being in the desert, 40 years of in the wilderness. And this has been given to the parents, to the older generation. In other words, listen, parents, when, when you're walking down by the Red Sea, remind your kids of that story. Remind them that there was a day that when you were at the Red Sea and you didn't know what to do and the Egyptian army was following hard after you and they were going to make you prisoners again and slaves and you didn't know what to do and God miraculously divided the sea and you walked across on dry land. Everyone was saved. And then when the Egyptian army came after you, God let the walls down, for the held the waters back, and the Egyptian army was drowned. Remind your kids of those days. Take opportunities when you're walking down um, by the sea. And, and, and then remember, like, don't forget to ever tell them that it was God who provided you all your meals for 40 years. He provided. Never went hungry. 40 years. Hey, remember, tell your kids about the fact that you wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and your shoes never wore out. Never wore out. God allowed those to just to keep on going. Remind them. You know what the Bible is saying? The Bible is saying leverage the ordinary moments in life. Leverage those ordinary moments in life. When you're walking along the road, Take those ordinary moments on those Tuesday mornings. Take that ordinary moment on a Thursday night and talk about just what God has done for you. Now the Bible says here, when they're talking to the children of Israel, it says while you're on a walk. Maybe for you it's when you're in the car driving your kids to school to drop them off at school. Or driving them to a soccer practice. Or to a dance recital. Great opportunities just to have chat. You know, maybe you have a little girl in your back seat and you're going to dance class and you say, hey, you know, honey, do you know who loves you more than your daddy? No, not just your mommy. When she says mommy, don't say no. More than your mommy and your daddy. It's God. Do you know, honey, God loves you. And if something was ever happened to mommy and daddy, God would look after you because God loves you. He's good. Or maybe you're with your teenage son and you're taking him to his part-time job and you're dropping him off. And you just want to say, you know, son, I, um, I just want to let you know. I'm proud of you. I love you. And boy, son, my deepest desire for you is that you would just follow after God. I want to tell you as a dad, I've made some mistakes. I've got some scars. But I want to tell you, God's been good to me. God's been good to you and your mother and I through some rough waters. And son, you can trust him when it's rough. 
Or maybe you're sitting by the pool with your daughter. Ordinary opportunities. And you just say, you know, honey, I, I see that God really delights in you. And I really do want you to follow your dreams. But make sure your dreams are aligned with what God has to say. And maybe you just pick out a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11. Just, you know, honey, God says that, um, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And honey, I know this to be true because I'm living it. Ordinary moments. Ordinary moments, by the way, not perfect moments. It's a lie to think that there's going to be the perfect moments where you have the opportunity to talk about God because they never happen. If you wait till the day that your laundry is done and fold it, the lawn is mowed, the kids are showered, and there's worship music playing through the house before you have a conversation, it's, never, it's just never going to happen because there are no perfect moments. They're just ordinary moments. If, if you wait for your children to say, come into the living room and say, Father, we've done the dishes, dried them and put them away, teach us from the scriptures, please. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. It won't. If you're waiting for your son to come in and say, Dad, I've washed and waxed the car, I've mowed the lawn, please tell me what the Bible has to say. Never going to happen. Extraordinary parenting happens in ordinary moments. Extraordinary parenting happens in ordinary moments. Ordinary moments to do extraordinary parenting. And guys, we know that to be true because there's something we say all the time. Things are better caught than, what is it? Taught, right? Things are better caught than taught. You know, Dad, you can give your child a, a verse to memorize. You can drive them to church. You can drop them off the youth group. But if you talk unlovingly to their mother, that's what sinks deep in their soul. Because things are easier caught than taught. Um, there was a newspaper article, actually, about a 13-year-old boy who saved his brother's life by driving his um, dad's car to the hospital. The dad wasn't around. And he drove to the hospital, and they asked him, how did, you, how did you know how to get to the hospital? Have you driven before? No, I've never driven. Well, then how did you know how to drive a car? His response was, I watched my father, and I did what I saw him do. Well, that question could go on. Hey, why did you refuse to argue with your neighbor when he said so many unkind words to you? I just did what I saw my father do. Why did you get mad and throw the wrench at the lawnmower when you couldn't fix it? I just did what I saw my father do. <laughs> Why did you give that money back to the clerk when they gave you back too much money? Uh, I just did what I saw my father do. Why did you curse when you spilled your food on your lap? I just do what I saw my father do. Why did you pray and thank God for the rough times of life? I just do what I saw my father do. It's true, right? We know that. Dads, we know. Our children do watch us. And so remember that truth. Things are easier caught than taught. Now, I realize that for most of you becoming a dad, it was a huge, it was a major significant point in your life. A huge difference was made in your life. You know, that first sight, the first cry, the first time you held 
your little baby, how it impacted you. You probably prayed, Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing. Please help me. Help me. And for many, for many men, when they become a father, that's when things get a little more crystallized. All of a sudden, you start realizing what is it that really matters in life. It was the summer of 1924. The Olympics were being held in Paris, France. Ben Havens was selected to represent the United States the year in a canoeing competition. A single paddle, a single competitor racing against other nations. A few months before the Olympics, Haven learned that his wife was due to give birth sometime during the Olympic Games. He had to make a decision. Uh, he had a decision to make. The opportunity of a lifetime or an opportunity of a lifetime. And he made the decision to stay home. The team left for Paris without him. And on August 1st, 1924, his son was born four days after the Olympic Games. He could have gone after all. But had made up his mind he didn't want to risk being away. Well, fast forward 28 years later, the Olympic Games are taking place in Helsinki, Finland. Bill Havens received a telegram from Helsinki that he would never trade for any amount of gold. The telegram read, the telegram read Dear Dad, thanks for waiting around for me to be born in 1924. I'm coming home with the gold medal that you could have won, your loving son, Frank. As a dad, there's always that nagging question, am I good enough? And how good is good enough to be a good dad, a good father? And like, what happens if I fail? Because sometimes the pressure feels so suffocating to try to keep up with this standard. And the weight of perfection is daunting and it feels so overwhelming at times. Well, let me just relieve you of the pressure. You are going to fail at times. That's just reality. So don't live under the, the pressure that perfection is required to be a good dad. You know, I have a secret. Going around here. Um, for those of you who don't go to church that often, religious people like to add things to a to-do list. In the New Testament, there was these professional religious people, and they were called Pharisees, and they're always adding so many extra rules. In fact, it's almost like spiritual abuse, what they kept putting on the people. God gave 10 commandments, and they turned them into 613 laws. They would add rules like, now make sure you don't cook on Sunday, on the Sabbath, the day of rest. You can't put out a fire on the Sabbath as the day of rest. So if you're cooking and you get a grease fire, burn your house down, just sit back because you can't do anything about it. Well, outside the church, outside of this church, people think that church people are all about keeping rules. And at some level, I can even understand that because sometimes we give that impression the way we live. Rules and rules. In fact, I can even see that when you're reading the Bible because Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
You're like, great. How in the world am I going to keep that standard? I mean, that's a high standard. Perfection? Christ does demand perfection, but he knows we can't live it. So how's that going to work? God demands perfection. I can't be perfect. Well, what should I do? Well, let me give you the inside scoop. Perfection was met when a perfect father sent a perfect son to fulfill the requirement of perfection. And only Jesus is perfect. And he satisfies the requirement of perfection. So dad, you don't have to live under that. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law. It's like the law's not bad. He said, but what I did is I actually came to fulfill it. My standard, Jesus, is perfection. You possibly can't meet the standard. So that's okay because I did. I went and met the standard of perfection so you don't have to carry the weight of that when you put your faith in jesus christ you no longer or god no longer sees the imperfections of you what god does is he credits jesus perfection on you it's hard to get your mind wrapped around that but in Romans 3, 21, 22, you t- it talks about how God takes the righteousness of Jesus and actually wraps it around you. So no longer does God see our imperfections. He sees perfection because of the Son. And by the way, that's good news. There is a perfection that is apart from keeping the law. And this perfect righteousness, this perfect perfection comes through knowing Jesus Christ. So dad, you don't have to be under the weight of being the perfect dad. But to be a great dad, I do believe it starts with knowing a perfect son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that Jesus met a standard of perfection and died for you. See, Christianity is not about behavior modification, although I believe the church has given that impression. When we become a Christian, it changes how we're supposed to to act Christianity is not about behavior modification. It is not about bad people becoming good. It's not about good people becoming great. It's about dead people becoming alive in Jesus. Jesus walked this earth and lived among us so dead people become alive. Death to life. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why great dads, I believe, start with a great son, Jesus. And are there going to be times as a dad you stumble and fall? Yes, of course there's going to be. But you know what? Because of God's grace and his mercy, you get back up, you wipe yourself off, and you keep on walking. And then you know what's going to happen? You're going to stumble along the way, and you're going to fall. And sometimes you might fall flat in your face. You're going to get back up, going to dust yourself off, because that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God, and you keep on walking. Great dads start with a great son. So if you're here this morning as a dad, and you don't know Jesus in a personal way, you don't have a relationship with him, I just want to challenge you today to be a great dad. It does start with knowing a great son who's actually already met the requirement of perfection so you don't have to live under that anymore.